Welcome to Birth Mystics with your hosts, Stephanie and Katie. Cora, which translates to maiden, loved to roam the hills and fields of grain. She would gather wildflowers and explore the earth in all of its beauty. One day in her wanderings, she encountered strange shadows that roamed the earth and were haunting her steps. Cora was compelled to understand them and was moved to compassion to help them. In her budding wisdom, she prepared for a journey into the underworld. She gathered poppies, pomegranates, and sheaves of wheat as emblems of the earth's power. She traveled down the deepest crevice in the earth's surface and descended below all things. The earth contracted in grief at her going below the surface, bringing death, decay, and winter to all of the fields. When Cora arrived in the underworld, She entreated every shadow to draw closer so that she could look them into their faces. She met them one by one, offering a warm embrace and anointing them with pomegranate juice upon their brow. She was doing this to prepare them for rebirth in the physical realm. In time, she longed for the above world, and she knew it was time to return. So she packed her things and made her way back to the surface of the earth. When she emerged, she saw the barren state of the earth, and she wept in grief, taking upon herself the name of Persephone, the bringer of destruction. Her beloved home lay in ruins. Everything that was familiar was gone. And yet her tears, which were many, began to flow over the parched soil, miraculously restoring the earth to its bounty and beauty, and it brought about the coming of spring and summer in their zenith. She was filled with hope again, hope that was coupled with newborn responsibility, assuming her role as creator and keeper of the earth, She knew it was her duty to nurture the fields perpetually, and that if she ever left again, it would bring about the cold winter. And yet, as she worked in the fields and kept her duties and fulfilled these many responsibilities that she had, she began to see more shadows return, beginning to haunt her steps once again. This was very conflicting. What could she do? If she descended below the earth again to liberate these shadows, then the fields would dry up and the rivers would cease to flow. How could she abandon these duties or forsake her calling? But there was a deep and burgeoning wisdom that spoke from within her, and it reminded her of her other duties, the duty of facing the shadows. Despite her questions and her doubts and all of the unknown, she prepared once again for a descent into the underworld. She gathered the familiar poppies, the pomegranates, and sheaves of wheat, and returned to the realm of shadows. Just as before, Persephone embraced and anointed each shadow until she sensed it was time to return. As she did so, she found that the fields and rivers 
were in fact dry, just as she had predicted they would be. She was once again moved to tears. In her anguish, the tears flowed unceasingly, restoring the earth to its former glory. And it was then, in that moment, that Persephone became Demeter, the mother of earth and the keeper of the seasons. She now embodied the spirit and vision of the maiden Korah, the creative responsibility of the mother Persephone, and now the wisdom of the shadows and seasons of the crone Demeter. Forever after, Korah Persephone Demeter, as one, cared for the above and the below in their proper season, maintaining balance and harmony. So that is my retelling of the myth of Persephone and Demeter. And for you, Katie, or anybody listening, if you're at all familiar with the myth, you're going to recognize right away that I veered pretty far from the traditional telling. Um, Usually Demeter is the mother and Persephone is her daughter. Is Mm -hmm. there, do you know any other details about this myth? I'm kind of springing this on you without any warning. Oh, um, I do know Persephone ends up marrying Hades. Yep. Um, And there's some sort of door that she goes in between, I think, Mm -hmm. to traverse between the underworld and the real world because he wants to keep her there. Yeah. Uh, Not a ton more. Yeah. I think you know the gist of it. And what gave me the idea to rewrite this was, because I'm not the first to have rewritten this script, but in reading different books and authors, I have found that there are some strong, there's strong evidence to support the idea that that version that involves Hades abducting Persephone and taking her down into the underworld where she was raped and therefore had to marry him and and then she, they kind of had this like split custody battle where mm-hmm. they divided up her time. Okay, fine. In the winter, you can stay with Hades, but in but come and bring spring and summer back to the earth when you come and visit your mother. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of evidence to, to say that that was not the original myth, but that when the Greeks adopted this myth, they patriarchalized it. I just made <laughs> I up was that word. Say, I was like, sounds like the patriarchy at work. Doesn't it? It, it, it involves rape. It involves warfare. It involves it's um, more violent. split custody. It's more... it's more violent. But more than anything, to me, it embodies victimization. So mm. Persephone is a very victimized character. And my heart breaks for the role of her in this whole thing. Of course, Demeter isn't presented much better. She's also been stripped of her matriarchal power because she's just the grieving mother who's had to make compromises with the awful, raging, toxic masculine. Yes. Right? So it's kind of like a lose-lose at Mm -hmm. the end of the day. Um, But it was like a beautiful way for us to say this is how the seasons evolved. Mm -hmm. Oh, and just to like throw in a little caveat. So when I say or we say patriarchy, we don't mean men. Um, a lot of times Not it seems all. to get, like, confused that when you say patriarchy, it means men ruined everything. Um, <laughs> and that's not you how I feel. You did this to me. Yes, they did it to us. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but men suffer under the patriarchy just as much as women do because patriarchy is about oppressive power. It's about power over, about living in a society where it's very top down. And so when I say patriarchy, I mean it's trying to take the power away from Persephone and make it seem like there's these top gods 
and they're the ones, and they were all men, which in this, that was just the men had, have had power because they are physically more strong than us. And men who have power often are pulled into perversion where they abuse that power. And that's the patriarchy we're talking about. And the most throughout history, we can watch and see how almost every woman who we remember is put in a, in a victim role. So anyways, just have that little in there. When I say patriarchy, I'm not, I'm not trying to rip on men. I know men suffer just as much. I agree. We, I think we could say it's more a system, like a political system that's yes. been in place. And you can look up the original myth in it's the Homeric hymns. But long before the Greeks were telling this myth, you can find hints in the Cretan version, um, the, I, the island of Crete, which has, for, as far as we can tell archaeologically, was one of the mainstays of matriarchy as the political system in place. And so the myth would have been very, very different. So there are beautiful retellings of this myth that try to honor the more matriarchal telling. And so I wanted to take that a step further. And I decided to merge the, the two women into one. And I will say that the name Cora comes from that Cretan version. And so I'm actually merging three women into one in telling this version. Because I feel that it was a perfect example of the archetypes of the goddess trinity, which again was worshipped in, in Crete and some of these other matriarchal cultures. Now, what are those archetypes? What is the goddess trinity? We would call it maiden, mother, and crone. If we go back into the myth, you'll begin to see how these archetypes emerge. So we start off with Cora, who represents the maiden. In fact, Cora translates to mean the maiden or the girl. If we look at some qualities of the maiden, I would say she represents youthfulness, anticipation of life, naivete, innocence, fresh beginnings, playfulness, new ideas. I will use the word virgin, but that word is also pretty fascinating if you look at the difference between how matriarchal cultures use it versus patriarchal. In patriarchal cultures, virgin came to be associated with a woman's sexuality, and she was virgin if she had never been known by another. That was not the way it was used anciently before that. Virgin was more about somebody who had their in autonomy intact. It's a uh, I would like to say she's an empowered woman oh. if she's a virgin. Yeah. And so sometimes you're both of those things, but mm -hmm. you can also have had sexual activity and still be a virgin by that definition, which yeah. I think is pretty cool. So think of Cora in the myth with all of those qualities to describe her. Um, she was just in love with the earth, playing out in the fields, a little bit like our childhood, just mm -hmm. the innocence, the full of hope, the full of ideas. At some point, she starts to observe shadows. These shadows are actually coming to her, haunting her, and there's something in her that sparks a transition, and she, she knows that she needs to make a journey and that she has to leave this beautiful, idyllic setting and go into a place that's a little bit scary. And so this transition is where we go from maiden to mother. This is where Katie and I spend a great deal of time 
in Mm -hmm. working with our clients to help them make that transition. And I would say even if it's their third child or their fifth child, they're still making that same descent on a deeper level. It's not a one and done transition. Absolutely. So then let's talk about the mother archetype and some things, some qualities that describe her. Realized life, the fruits of creation, ripening, responsibility, self-discipline, patience, nurture, discipliner. It's interesting that after Cora goes down into the underworld and she faces the shadows for the first time and she anoints the shadows, she embraces. I loved that part of the myth that she mm. actually embraces them and anoints them. Yeah. She doesn't say, I'm going to go down, but you stay over there and I'll stay over here. She's like, nope, I'm down here. Come on over. I'm going to give you a big hug. And, and according to the myth, that was how, what set those shadows free in order to complete their cycle of mm. death and rebirth and, and come back up to the above world. And so she does this intense work, you know, she, this is what we would say, hearkening back to the labyrinth conversation. This is when you've made it down into the heart of that labyrinth, right? You are Mm -hmm. making that descent down in becoming a mother. But I love that she, when she comes out for that first time, all she sees is destruction. Mm -hmm. She's like, what have I done? I left and then everything fell apart. Ever felt like that as a mother? (laughs) I remember one of the first times after I had my first, I went um, and did a meetup with all of the other women that had been in my childbirth ed course. Mm. And there's one of them that had a pretty rough go of it at her birth. Um, And her baby was, uh, had a rough transition in the world too. And Mm. she was like, I honestly had a couple days where it was like, this was a dumb idea. Wow. Like this was, what have I done? This was a dumb idea. Yeah. And I remember being so taken aback by her honesty, like that she would just say that in a big group of women. Cause like as an American, people don't usually speak so speak that way. And like, mm-hmm. but it was not like super negative. She just was being very honest about what she'd been through. And it came back around to like, we figured it out. But there was, I remember having this like, okay, Like I had those really hard days or maybe like I'm not the personality to actually allow myself to think those things, but I can like definitely, I know what that feels like. Yeah, absolutely. I feel it even in small scale ways, because of course there's that moment of the actual baby being born and everything familiar is gone, right? Like that, I would say that's the huge bird's eye view of this, but then think about it in small day-to-day things like you try to do something nice for yourself and you go out to lunch with your friends and you come back and the house is just a total mess. Mm -hmm. Uh, You go on a weekend getaway that you've been saving and planning for for two years and you finally go and you come back and it looks like World War II has happened in your house, right? Like (laughs) it's that that moment of recognizing just how much responsibility is on your shoulders and that we keep – the earth like in orbit like that's what it starts to feel like as a mother and it only compounds as the children get older or we invite more children into that space if we do not learn from the crone because i think if we get stuck in just the persephone part of the myth because that's what she then changes her name to and she embraces the responsibility and Persephone is like yep I will take on take on all the burdens I will be the keeper of the earth I'll do it all and I'll never forsake my duties again yes um 
but I love that the myth doesn't end there. Mm. So she starts to feel torn. Yeah. The shadows come back. Mm -hmm. It's not a one and done. You can't just descend one time and say, I did my shadow work. (laughs) I did my healing work. I faced down my demons. Why haven't they gone away? But I think matriarchy wisdom teaches us about living in harmony with seasons and cycles. So it reminds us it's actually about layering down and revisiting over and over and over again. So that's what Persephone does. She has that moment of conflict. The shadows have have resurfaced. And she says, oh no, what do I do? I'm having an identity crisis and I think I need to explore it. But I got these kids and I got this (laughs) husband and I got my job and I've got dinner to make. And how am I supposed to like figure myself out and not drop everything and have the, you know, have it go back into winter? But at some point, you do it anyway. Mm. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't actually know how this is all supposed to work out. And maybe it is all going to become a big, giant mess that I can't fix. And I'm going to do it anyway. Because it's so compelling. Mm. The journey calls you down. And Persephone went. She, despite her doubts and her misgivings and all the unknown, she's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go face the shadows again. And she does it. She goes back down into the underworld and once again greets these new shadows. It's, a, it's maybe even some, maybe some are old, maybe some are new, but she embraces them. She anoints them, sends them on their way until she senses it's time for me to return. I've been gone long enough. I need to check in with mm. the upper world now. And she does that and she makes her way back to the surface and the grief is still there. Yeah, it. it It turned into a cold winter in her absence. And yet, as the tears flow, she remembers. She's like, yeah, I've been here before. And when I actually surrender into this and let myself feel what I feel, the spring comes again. And she just allows herself to come undone and cry. And her tears, once again, nurture the earth. The rivers are replenished. And spring comes, followed by summer. It's the full bloom and and season of of harvest and this is when she embraces the crone side of herself what we would what I have linked with Demeter and this is when she recognizes all of the same things that she knew as Cora like she she embodies Cora's hope optimism ideas Flexibility. I like that. Yeah. The the freedom and playfulness of, of yeah. youth, right? Spontaneity. Spontaneity. She still has that within her. She's she's not necessarily forsaken these other archetypes, but she's building upon them. They're being reborn each time she emerges out of the shadows. So I would say Yes, there actually is a death that we experience each time we go down into the shadow side, but then there's also a resurrection. Mm. So when Korra went down, Korra as we knew Korra did cease to exist. There was a death. There was a grief that had to take place. But when Korra emerged, that's when the resurrection of Cora Persephone together as a, as a new unit was born. Mm. And so it was almost as, as if it's a wiser, more mature version 
of Cora. And think about that in your own life. Are there parts of you who you look back at your teenage years or your college years and you think, yeah, that's when I was my Cora. I was so optimistic. I was so hopeful. I was so spontaneous. I was so fun. And yet, are there some regrets there? (laughs) Like, did we sometimes make foolish decisions with all of that naivete, lack of real lived experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yet, because we go through this transition into mother and we embrace that second archetype, I think it's so beautiful to allow the, the original maiden to pass away so that she can integrate in combination with mother because that's a powerful combination. You are not becoming mother at her expense. It's like, oh, she informs my mother. And I now have all of the responsibilities of, my, of creative power that motherhood brings. And how do, how do I find that maidenhood weaving into the tapestry of this? Mm. And, and how do I get to keep that spark of me alive into my motherhood? And I think in our culture, sometimes it's really hard for us to wrap our heads around that possibility because for a lot of reasons. Um, one of the big ones is that our culture like obsesses over the maiden, um, the maiden sells, the maiden 100%. is all over in our media, the maiden is all over in advertising, um, the maiden is sold as the most sexually attractive of the three, um, actually the only, the only sexually yeah. attractive of the three is you're what's often sold to You're supposed to look like a maiden us. your entire life. Yes. And once you're not anymore, then you're not, you're you've not sexy lost, anymore. You've lost relevance. Yes. They mm-hmm. aren't using you to to make men enticed anymore. Mm-hmm. So you have this little bit of this message of like that that dies when you become a mother, that, that that sexually active, that attractive, flighty, like whatever that is, flirtatious, that all of that cannot come with you yeah. into motherhood. Um, another thing that our society really loves to do is that there does not accept that things can coexist, that there is um, this space, the space of and, I like to call it, where people say the word but a lot. Like, mm-hmm. I really like this, but I'm too old for that now. Or I feel this, but, and then they add something else. Instead it's like, of saying, look at that conjunction. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I do it a lot. And like, I say, I feel like I would do this, but I don't have enough time. You can say, well, I love this and I have a hard time fitting it into my life. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you don't love it anymore. Or that the lack of time means you can't have it at all. Or there are a lot of things like you can be wise and playful. Like Mm. I feel like a lot of these things have been in our culture put at odds. Yeah. You can be responsible and spontaneous. Yes. Yeah. That, that, and those two words, those are good choice Mm -hmm. because I feel like we're sold that, that you have to have this identity that's this certain thing. And a lot of it is around these roles. Like, that you, um, when you're a mother, you have to embody these certain things, selflessness, um, being very hardworking, um, patient, not complaining about things. Very pleasant. Very pleasant. Loving. Like, and I say that, like, those are all wonderful things. Mm -hmm. But when someone's expected to embody only one of these three, like if you look at all of that, how narrow how narrow is that and how little room is there? Like I'm personally a very spontaneous at heart. That's the kind of person I am. And the life I live right now, maybe that's why I like birth work so much is because it gives me a little more of like, what will I be doing tomorrow? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I get to drop um, everything if I, and run. And if, just run and go do something clients. really cool if my client goes into labor. 
Um, and I think that's, that is one of the reasons for me it's very fulfilling um, because it gives that back to me where motherhood is often um, very... Almost scripted out for yes, you. Yes, and yeah. very like the days are very similar and the to-do lists and yeah. um, different things. But I think those two things get in the way of a lot of beauty. And I, I like the idea of this embodying of all three of these, which as you said, you know, take it deeper, like it's the seasons and take it even deeper that we are like the seasons, like this is printed in our bodies and our menstrual cycles. Exactly. We get to actually experience these three archetypes every single month on a mini cycle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how can I every month, how can I say, okay, right now I am post period pre ovulation. So I'm in that through ovulation. I'm entering my spring. I'm entering time, my spring and my, my summer. Maiden. How can I? How can I? And my spring. How can I be this maiden? How can I? How can I embody in the spring and summer this lightness? What can I change? How can I? How can I adapt? What, what are things I things want? Things can I introduce into mm-hmm. my week this week? Yeah, yeah. And as we head into um, post ovulation, to say, okay, what are some things I need to wrap up? Yeah. What are some things that just need to be done? What are what balls um, can I put down? Because I'm kind of tired of juggling now. That yes. was fun for like a week, but I don't want to juggle anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then we head into our period and to really have that time of winter where we sit with ourselves and mm. we can have that moment to evaluate because that's the wisdom of the crone, right? Mm. To, to have the time, to take the time, to step back a little bit, to have some quiet yeah. and just wrap ourselves up in a comfort blanket and let our hair down and just say what do I need? What's, what's coming? What, what's trying to talk to me? What's the message? Like, what do I need to work on? Hello self, right? She's the deep rest. She's the deep let go. In fact, I don't think we actually listed her qualities. Can we transition back to Crone? Yes. From what you shared there, because her qualities are death, dissolution, recycling, wisdom, transforming, transitioning the rest before rebirth, seasonal living, shadow work. So all of that hits us every month in that actual menstruation phase. And how beautiful that if we really come to acquaint ourselves with these archetypes within our cycle, then it translates into the bigger picture of our life. That when you're in the actual stage of motherhood, recognize that your maidenhood has been resurrected in a new form within that. And when you are transitioning into the crone years, when you're premenopausal, when you know you're through the, the pregnancies and the births and the deliveries and then breastfeeding and all the things that come with it, that there is actually something to look forward to as opposed to dreading like our society has taught us that yes. the wrinkles and the gray hair are what we dread. But the, the wisdom of the crone is something that I absolutely look forward to because then remember the mother goes down into that shadow land and when she, well, and so she is going through a death of both the maiden and the mother again, all over again, <laughs> but she emerges and all of those archetypes are, are born together, united as all three. And so that's where her wisdom comes from. She is able to see through a lens of all three archetypes. You don't get that any other time except through the gray hair and the wrinkles. Like it's a beautiful season of our life. Um, Within the menstrual cycle, if you're looking at it again at the small scale, 
though we have associated the actual menstruation phase with being ornery, moody, angry, grumpy, like the, I mean, that describes some of my feelings sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think we're not giving enough credit to the wisdom side. We're not getting, giving enough credit to the time for profound insight. Because remember, you've just experienced all three archetypes that whole month, and it's all built up to this moment of letting go. There is wisdom to be found there. And I think underneath a lot of what, a lot of that restlessness we feel, a lot of that frustration and grumpiness is imbalance. That's not just how menstruation is meant to be. I think we're sitting very very deeply imbalanced often with yeah. our periods very and much that we so. are resisting the shadows. Like we've, we've got, we're forced to go down because that's our nature. We have to go down. We have to menstruate. And I guess we don't have to, you, there are things you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we let our bodies, they will take us into the winter yeah. and sometimes they take us kind of unwillingly. Yeah. And we do not know how to embrace the shadows. We don't know how to anoint them with pomegranate. We don't know how to hug them. So instead we run and we spend our winter running around in circles, not to make anyone grumpy. Right. And I know that I've, it's just been like a year and a half since I first really dove into understanding my cycles and embracing them for the opportunity that they are, rather than having it be like that unspoken weird thing that literally every woman has, but nobody talked about. Yeah. Um, and getting to the point where it was like, this is actually a part of who we are, and it's actually really amazing mm. that our bodies make room for creation every month yeah. and then sheds off that creational potential um, just to go through that cycle over and over again. We, we build ourselves up to do this epic thing every month. And, um, as I've taken my period very seriously and tried to just set time, go to bed early and take warm baths and have like journaling time and trying not to schedule things like, because I do know, we do know (laughs) generally when they'll be coming and trying not to schedule if I have trainings or different things, just leaving those couple of days for me and just to slow down. And when I notice when I make that a priority that it becomes a much more pleasant experience. And I do, I'll sit down and say, what, what is it right now that is calling me? Like, what are these shadows? Um, and things always come to mind. We're, we're smart, intuitive beings. If we actually give ourselves a moment to the things will always come that need to happen. They'll come to the surface just yes. like they did for Cora and Persephone and, and Demeter. Yes. I love to really weave these archetypes into the analogy of a tree, because then I think we really can see how one isn't, isn't necessarily going away for the sake of the other, but it's getting kind of swallowed up inside. Mm -hmm. You know, think of the maiden as the young sapling. She doesn't offer a whole lot of shade or a whole lot of fruit, but there's so much potential in that little sapling that just got planted into the fresh earth. And after a few hard winters, She's been toughened up. She's got more rings uh, on her whole trunk and she's moving into the mother season and she's starting to produce fruit. And you can see her, you even said shutting off the creative potential, Mm -hmm. you know, think of the tree who's like dropping the acorns or shedding the fruit for the next, you know, forest and grove of, of saplings to, to grow up in her care and her shadows. And then visualize for a minute some of these like archetypal trees that we grew up with. Like I think of Grandmother Willow from Pocahontas. Mm. 
I think of the Ents in Lord of the Rings. Um, there's so many cool tree, like wise tree characters yeah. in like mythology and, mm-hmm. and good storytelling. And she's the crone. That is the tree that, you know, when she finally does fall, when she finally does die, you can count her rings. And you better believe that right there in the center of that is the maiden tree, followed by the mother, followed by the crone. And in dying, in laying her body down into the earth, she's regenerating. And guess what's going to be reborn of her? A new sapling. And the cycle continues because that's also the deep wisdom of the crone is that it doesn't end here. I'm only a crone for a season, but you better believe I'm coming back for spring. And I love seeing that all, all embodied in that analogy. In closing, your birth experience is a true transition from maiden to mother. And not just with the birth of the first child, like we said, it's not a one and done. Each baby that you bring is going to be a revisiting of that process and a new transition. You deserve to be celebrated, honored, and supported during this transition. It is an important rite of passage. And with that, your maiden deserves to be grieved. It's good and necessary to let her go in the way that you know her, simultaneously trusting that she will be reborn anew in her own way and time, and that her resurrection is actually going to make you a better, happier, and more fulfilled mother. Thank you for joining us as we step into darkness knowing we will find light.